Good morning, Cherry Hills. Okay, so like 8 o'clock service, got here before, you had to get up earlier, and they were about that same level at the beginning, and I made them redo it. You have like twice as many people, uh, and I'm not a morning person, so I'm pretty cheerful right now, so I'm going to give you a second chance. Good morning, Cherry Hills. There we go, because it is a good morning. It's always a good morning. Well, I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. As we've said over and over this morning, it's Youth Sunday. And so to introduce myself, I'm Lee. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, get to be with all these awesome kids and uh, work with Bethany and Chris and, and our awesome staff. And so it's been a blessing to, to be a part of this and whatnot. But as we get going here, we're going to keep moving along as we do the last few Sundays. If you haven't been with us, through our series. And you'll see banners on both sides here called Disciple Makers. And what we're trying to get at is hard is, what does it mean to make disciples? Who do you disciple on those kind of questions? And so this morning, it's kind of simple for me because of my job. I'm going to teach you about how to disciple generations, the next generation, junior high, high school, and college students. And so I'm excited to do that. You know, but in that, though, it's not always easy. There's a lot of good stories there's a lot of exciting stories, but there's also hard stories when it comes to discipling the next generation. One of the ones that I was thinking about, I've had the privilege now of working alongside students for 15 years, which I know some of you are like, man, you look really young. How do you do that? And so just know I, I have, you know, I'm not as young as you like to think I am. But 15 years, and I start thinking about this a lot lately. And one of my stories that hurts is, is a student from my last church where he was, had a rough family scenario and all that stuff. And in that, he went to a conference with me for teenagers. And by the end of the weekend, he was super on fire for God. Like, he was ready to sign the dotted line. He was ready to start his relationship with Christ. And as they were talking about the gospel and stuff at the conference, he just fell on his knees and and no joke, there was literally a pud, pud, a literally a puddle of water in front of him from crying. And I like to say it ended there where this excitement kept growing and going, but there are stories where you get students who get on fire for the Lord and some, for whatever reason, decide, uh, I don't want to do that no more. And he, he's one of those, as far as I know. Uh, we got back about a year later. He started doing marijuana and he had stuff happen in his family and, and all these things went down and he decided that's not something I want to I do. And I haven't personally heard from him since. The only way I've heard through him was about eight years ago he emailed one of our other students and uh, just said, hey, I'm okay, I'm doing all right. You know, and that's about all we've heard from him. But then I've got so many other awesome stories to share of people that I've got to come alongside that have had good and keep going. And for me, it's a blessing if you do get to look in your bulletin, you'll see our new staff member that we brought on. And I'll explain a little bit about him, but he's actually one of my students from my last youth group. And so I get the blessing of working alongside him now in ministry. And so that's for me a win. And there's a lot of wins, folks. I'll tell you, if you ever get to know the students we have now, you will see how awesome it is. But I think the other side of this is, is we think is 
the first two questions on your notes. And these are questions later. Some students are going to come out and share with you exactly those two questions. But the first question is, who discipled you? None of us would be in here without somebody else. Unless you had the awesome experience of God on your own going, hey, go to church. Hey, go to Cherry Hills. Which I don't think that's a very popular thing that happens a lot. You've been somebody that somebody else has come alongside and said, hey, you need to go. You need to know the Lord. You need to have a relationship with God. And for a lot of us in here, we are here because somebody did that. And so when you get the opportunity someday, today, I would love for you to think of that person or some of those people. I, I always tell people I'm blessed with a lot of moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandma and grandparents that aren't even my legit family. It's my church family. Throughout my life, I've had so many people believe in me and pour into me. And that's why I am here today, the man I am today. But the other side of it is, it's easy to always remember those people, but the question is, what did they do? And that's the next question. What did they do that got you here? Now, for some students, my parents made me. Okay, that's cool. But for most of us, somebody did something. They either said something or we saw them living a certain way and we were kind of curious about it. What did they do? How did they live? How did they act? And that's part of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the why do we even do this? Why do you even hire a pastor elite? Why do we even go after teenagers? Why is it even important to do this? And then we're going to talk about the how. And the how is not going to be this how of like, here's the steps to sit down and talk with a student, even though I know some in here are like, please make that your message today. I do not know how to do this. But the how is really a lifestyle that if we got those things, so many more doors would be open. And those are the hows. But as we look at this, as we talk about this series in your first note there, the real thing behind this, though, is the first real why is this. We are to participate with God in shaping one another. We are to participate with God in shaping one another. Now, we know, if we're being honest, that God does the majority of the work. God opens a person's heart to hear. God is really the one that does a lot of the work on us. I mean, if you've ever had a God moment, you know what I'm talking about, or a moment where you really kind of want to do your own thing, and God's like, uh-uh. But the other side of it is, is he uses us to do this as well. He uses us to come alongside a student. He uses us to show love to a student. He uses us to run and disciple a student as he does the work. But the question is, do we really believe it's that important? 
The beauty of Cherry Hills, I think for the majority of Cherry Hills, I think that's a fact. I can't tell you how many people have told me in this church that they're praying for me in the ministry and they're praying for our students. I mean, one key example is our goodie bags for Fuge that Bethany brought up, that somebody goes and says, I wanna pray for that student this week while I give them a little present for the ride there. It's awesome, folks. But how do we take it another step further? Here's some other whys that come into play. Now, I'm not a huge fan of statistics, and I think all of us know this. Statistics can get blown out of proportion. They can be too low. They can be kind of thrown wherever, you know. But sometimes when I'm researching and studying or I go to a conference and they share some statistics, I don't care what the number is. I care that the fact that it's really high, and I need to be attention to it. So the next note here is this. There's a large number of students not wanting to step back into the church. That's a why we go after this generation. You'll see different books. You'll see different reports. The numbers kind of vary between different statistics. But the biggest idea is this. 80% plus after they graduate high school either don't want to go back into the church or won't go back into the church for a long time. And those kind of things we have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself is why. What is going on that is stopping this? What is going on that they don't want to be a part of it anymore? Some of that's going to come in the how. I'm going to explain how. Some of the how is what's driving the kids away. The next thing in your notes is this. The temptations students face are getting stronger. I know that sounds kind of basic, but it's true. Again, here's another statistic. Not that all statistics are accurate, but folks, here's a wake-up call. 93% of boys, that's a lot of boys, and 62% of girls have viewed some kind of porn by the time they're 18. That's crazy. You've also got other kids testing out new drugs and not even just what we know as what we call everyday drugs, but they're making drugs at home now more than ever. We've had students that have created their own drugs to get hired, to disappear life for a period of time. It's no longer let's wait for the the big drug to come in or we have the money for it. It's we're going to go create something. Party rates are going up. Drinking's going up. The amount of deaths of a teenager now with drinking has gone up. The world is fighting hard after our kids. And we need to fight back. And there's tons of other things going on, folks. Media, we know about that big time, don't we? I could list off all the media that's going on right now. That would take me all morning. Facebook, Twitter, All those things. I mean, with parents, and they can't even keep up with their student anymore. They think they figured out what apps are on their phone or their iPad or whatever it is, and they think they've got it all figured out and caught up, and then when they think they've caught up, their kids already have five more apps they don't even know about. The one that scares me more than any of them right now that I know of is Snapchat. 
you don't know anything about Snapchat, I told my wife I'm never getting it. It just scares me that much. And what it is is it's a thing where you, you take a picture and you can send it to somebody, which sounds innocent, right? I mean, I could be here right now with my cell phone going, I'm preaching at Cherry Hills. And then send it to somebody. And then you can title it and do all these fun things with it, whatnot. But the scary part about Snapchat is if I'm doing it one-on-one to somebody, the picture goes away after 10 seconds. So parents have no more proof of what their kids are really seeing on their phones. Folks, it's crazy. It's just downright crazy. But here's the reality. Each student, family member, and the church play a role. Not one of us in this room are away from discipling a student. Every one of us sees a student at some point of the day. You don't even have to come to Cherry Hills to see a student. It's your cashier. It's somebody at the bank. Somebody giving you gas. Somebody you see walking by you at the mall. If you're a teacher, you see students all day, every day. Everywhere we go, they're there. And I bet every one of us has a student already in our life. If it's our own child or family member, or if it's just we have friends that have kids. Every one of us, folks, play a role. But the question comes down to how serious are we going to take this? I just got to watch the movie Transformers 4 Friday night. My wife and I went on a date night. She picked the food. I picked the movie. I'm glad she picked the food and I got to pick the movie because I can pretty much eat anything. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) And so for me to pick the movie, I was like, not a chick flick. Yay. But I do for my wife. But in that, I was watching this movie. You don't know anything about Transformers. It's this movie slash old cartoon when I was a kid that was about robots that come into vehicles and there's good versus bad robots and, you know, all that good stuff. And, and there's this one character, the big boss of the Autobots called Optimus Prime, the sweetest looking semi you'll ever see. <laughs> and in this movie, it's just number four, the, 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 the storyline changes now from them saving humans, protecting humans, to now the humans turning on them and blaming them for what happened. And Optimus Prime is going off on how humans are horrible and they don't get it. And you've got Mark Wahlberg, who's one of the main characters in the movie, and he's sitting there talking to Optimus Prime at this time, and he's saying, hey, I'm a human and I I, I rescued you. Am I not different? than all these people you're bundling me with? And I kind of started thinking about this. My wife and I had an aha moment when we were watching the movie, and how many times do we do that to students? Oh, students are this, oh, students are that. 
The sad part is that night we went to Target before the movie, and I had that moment. Outside Target were all these boys running around in front of Target. I'm like, where are the adults? Do they not get what's about to happen? This is not a good scenario. And my wife's like, what is wrong with you? And then I watched this movie, and it was like God was stepping in to remind me truth. And, and the idea is those two characters are talking about people, and Optimus is putting everybody in this category. And Mark Wahlberg stops him finally and says, you know what? Quit looking at the junk and see the treasure. So many times we're guilty of putting students all together. Or we don't really see them as who they are and we put them in the junk pile. Because they're a teenager. They don't get it. If only they behave like I did when I was a teenager. <laughs> a lot of you are laughing because you say the same thing. But in that, He's got a point, Mark Wahlberg. See students for who they really are. See the treasure in them. See the beauty that God's created them to be, and that's where everything changes. Look in with me at Matthew, the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible right under the seats right there for you, and you can have that as a gift from us. If you need some help, uh, there's the Old Testament, New Testament. It's toward the back of the Bible. Matthew is. It's the first book of the New Testament. If you're, if you're new and you got, uh, grabbed a Bible from below, it's on page 688. But Matthew 18, verse 10 through 14. And for a lot of us that have grown up in the church, this is going to sound familiar. But God really convicted me with this. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see my face, the Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing to let any of these little ones be lost. Keyword, any. God doesn't want any student to not be his. God wants them all. Part of the revelation I had as I was thinking about that was one, every student is so important to God. Every individual student. And He wants us to come alongside Him. The other thing that hit me really hard though was as we talk about this generation, 
the thing that really hit me hard is if we're not careful, this whole generation could be one big lost sheep. And we know what that looks like in the Old Testament through Israel when they don't disciple the next generation. You get a glimpse of what society in the world can become. I don't know about you, but that just makes me go, I gotta do this better than I ever have before. There's also another passage in here that came to my mind, and I'm gonna turn to it, and I just want you to hear it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it at my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Here's the reality. There are a ton of students that want to run. There are a ton of students that already do run. But there's a number of students that are waiting for someone to run with them. And to show them truth. And to show them that they're loved, truly loved. And folks, we need to run. I hate running in real life. But I love running with students in their walk. And we need to do that. We need to go with them. We need to help them. But the question is how? How do we do that and what does that look like? And here we go. Number one, these aren't gonna be some big fancy smancy notes today. They're gonna be basic notes. Number one, be clear. Be clear by what we say, by what we do, and what we believe. Folks, this is the number one thing that this generation talks about in a lot of the research they've done that pushes students away from the church. A lot of kids don't know what the church believes anymore. They don't know what we believe anymore. They don't know what it looks like to be a Christian anymore because of the way a lot of us walk around and speak and act. There's a lot of churches that have banners, that have sayings like we do, and they don't live it. Or they don't even know what that looks like. And a lot of students are like, we want to be a part of something, we just don't know what to be a part of. So part of discipling students, part of running with students, is making sure we're clear on our actions, on what we say and do, but also we're clear what we really believe. Because the reality is, folks, what we believe is going to come out as what we say and what we do. And being that example. Because part of it, too, 
Is there students waiting to see if we're really serious about this? Do you really believe that? Is it really that important to you? And they're waiting. See, the reality is, you might not realize this, but students are watching you all the time. Especially if you call yourself a believer, and even more so if you call yourself a pastor. But if we're not clear on who we are and what we're about, it's confusing. It confuses them. The next thing, this one's hard, be patient. This one can blow your mind because this one, in one moment, you can have a student that you're just blown away with how mature they are, how wise they are. You're like, how the heck do you know more about the Bible than I do? All these things, and you're doing life with them, and you're just amazed by them. And then in one moment, they remind you they're a teenager. And you're like, what? Who are you right now? But part of being patient is being okay with that. I think a lot of times we want to make students who we want them to be and, and, and hurry them up. Let's get there. Get to the finish line. It's not a race in the sense of go one day and you're done. But it's hard because we have expectations of students and when they don't always meet those expectations, it's not always easy to be patient. The other side of being patient is this. You don't always have to have all the answers. Be patient with them and be okay saying, you know what, I actually don't know that either. Let's go figure it out. Let's go learn together. Another side is remember they're being a kid. They're still a teenager. But here's the reality. Most students really do want to live the way you're calling them to. They just need to go with the pace they're able to go at. Now, if you're a runner, you know what I'm talking about. That's not always easy. Because if I were to go run with you and you're a runner, you'd probably get annoyed after the first two steps. But my hope would be, because I tire out really fast, that you would wait for me or help me. And that's part of being patient. The next one. It is modeled. Part of that is realizing that we aren't perfect, and the students already knew that. But also modeling it is being vulnerable. Just be real. Just do it with them. As you be clear, as you be patient, just model what it looks like to the best of your knowledge and ability. No one's asking for the guru Christian. No one's asking you to be already a perfect Christian. All they're wanting is some people to follow and say, this is how you do it.
These are the things I've gone through. This is the wisdom I've gained because I've lived more years. Model it for them. Because the other reality is, they will buy in if you really do model it. My favorite is the next one. Unplanned conversations. Some of the conversations I have are the most deep intellectual ones that throw me off because I wasn't ready for them. Like this week, I had one of my uh, girls, she texted me and she was reading the Bible and she's like, Pastor Lee, what does this mean when it's this, this, and this? And I'm like, I don't even know. Let's figure it out. The other side is, you will not believe some of the conversations that come up in youth ministry. And some of them are unplanned in the sense that I'm crying with them. I'm jumping around happy with them. But folks, the reason I like unplanned conversations is because I didn't do anything about it. It was just I was with them where they were on their race at that moment, and we did it. See, I think sometimes we like to be playing. I'm a planner. I love planning. And we like to set moments, and sometimes it's really good. I mean, we talk about this If you can, have dinner time together. That's a planned moment. If you can, pray together before bed. That's a planned moment. But folks, be ready for the unplanned. It's like that moment where your daughter's sitting in the back and she's sleeping on your vacation trip in the car and you're driving and all of a sudden she wakes up and goes, hey mom, what about this? And you're first like, are you even awake? And then you get to have a conversation. But it's at their time and their place in the race. That's why they're so awesome. The next one, listen. I want you to understand, I don't mean listen in always the way we're talking about listen. When I was in premarital counseling, I was told that I have to look at my wife hear my wife, and repeat what my wife just said to me. And that's listening. Which is, in some sense, true. But what I'm talking about is listening where we really listen. And, and what, here's the example. Two weeks ago at Fuge, we had a night called Be Real was one of the lessons. And after we went to our church group devotion time where our youth group alone goes to meet in a room. We had a moment where kids were really real. We had a couple boys share some real struggles. And if you're like me, instantly red flag alert's going on right now for you. And I was like, okay, gotta stop this one. Guys over here, girls over here, you know, and, and separate, no talking about that stuff in front of each other. But then one of the girls stepped up and she, she made a statement that blew me away. And I realized in that moment, I need to just listen. And I need to let God do his thing and I need to back off. And folks, for 40 minutes, 
We had students pouring out their hearts with who they are and their struggles and sins. Why? Because they want to be free. They want to be who God wants them to be. And after that 40 minutes, my wife and I were standing at the top because we were in a kind of like a tier thing in our room where it's kind of like the steps. It was up and we're up top arm in arm and just looking down at this beautiful scene of all these students crying together, praying together, just loving each other. And I thought of myself, that's what James talks about in his book when it says confess your sins and pray for one another. And the only way that happened is because we really listened. There was no judging. There was no, I don't want to hear that right now. There wasn't, I'm going to make fun of you because you said something. We actually listened. See, there's part of that reality that's a struggle right now for students and parents because you have this reality that students don't always feel comfortable sharing with parents what's really going on. We have the other side where parents sometimes go, I don't really want to hear that. Keep it to yourself. But when we really listen to each other, discipleship explodes. Another one. Show trust with responsibility. I had the privilege of this. I've been praying since I came to Cherry Hills five years ago that I would see a day where the students did everything. It's not because I'm trying to be lazy. It's not, oh, I just want to get paid and kind of be around. It's because I believe in these students so much and I know they're gifted to do it and I want to see them do it. And one Sunday night, I got to sit back and I literally sat in the back of the gym and I cried. Because that night, the students did the opening, they did the prayer, they did the greet, they did the sermon, they did the music. Boys were in the back doing the soundboard. I did nothing. No adult did anything that night. And I'll tell you what, folks, that was one of the most beautiful nights I've ever been a part of. Because as we trust them, we need to give them responsibility so they can keep moving and growing as well. Another one. They are unique. They're unique. We have to remember each student is their own person. I've met with families where I've had to tell parents and encourage parents, hey, even though you've got two or three kids, don't treat them all the same. Because God made each child specific to who they are. And so in discipleship, we need to reach a student where they are and who they are to help them become who they should be. We have to remember that, that they're unique. Don't compare them to another brother or sister. Don't compare them to students that have come before. 
Help them with who they are. And then the last note here is this. Disciple those who are around you in your daily life. Disciple those who are around you in your daily life. And I put that because, folks, if a lot of us are being honest, when we think of evangelism, discipleship, we think about going out to find those people. So when we talk about discipling students, we think we got to go find those students. No, they're right there. They're in your life for a reason. The question is, will you take the time to do it? For some of you, it's your own kids. For some of you, it's your family members. For some of you, it's a colleague at work. But the question is, are you going to look around you and see who's already in your life and then do it? So I put, folks, right on the notes, the application. Write one or two students' names below to pray for and to disciple. Now here's the thing that's interesting. Before I had this printed, I had the word or to disciple. And I was like, that is not okay. Because then what I do is I give you the opportunity to choose to say, I'm going to pray or disciple. No, it's both. It's pray and disciple. But folks, here's the reality. We know where our students are at. The question is, are we going to do it now? And so my prayer is that you think of a couple people already in your life and you write those names down and pray for them and when the doors open, you disciple them. And right now, I'm going to bring out four of my students, and they're going to come share with you the how or who of who did it for them. So come on out. Hello, my name is Jacob, and I graduated from high school last year. My story started sophomore year with several of my school friends inviting me to come to youth group. It took a lot of convincing on their part, but finally one Sunday evening in April, I came to youth group. One youth leader that night made me feel very welcomed and loved. He continued to remember my name week after week. He genuinely asked how my week went every week, and he cared about how I was doing. It was that connection that made me want to come back to youth group week after week. That youth leader has continued to pour into me by speaking truth into my life, encouraging me to be a godly man, and always being there when I need somebody to talk to. That youth leader has been a blessing from God to have me be able to grow in my faith and relationship with him. My name's Ariel, and I'm going to be a junior. My grandma has had a huge impact on my life, probably more than she knows. She has shown me the type of person I want to grow up to be. She has always been there for me and has always been there just when I need someone to listen. It seems as if every time I have something wrong, she can relate in some way. She helps guide me through hard times and points me in the direction God would want me to go. She helps me see God at work even when I can't see it myself. When I was in seventh grade, my family and I went through a difficult time. I was angry at God and doubted his existence. 
but I talked with my grandma about it for a long time and we prayed together. She helped me trust in God again and now he brought more good out of the situation than I could have ever thought possible. I wouldn't be where I am in my walk with God without her and I can only pray that I will have as much of an influence on my children and grandchildren that she has had on me. Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm going to be a senior this year in high school, and I have been greatly impacted by this body of Christ. Yet there is one adult specifically who has made an internal impact on me. This one of God continually points out the potential in me. She reminds me who I am in Christ when the ways of this world weigh me down. She has pushed me to serve others with the heart of Jesus. Not only does this sister in Christ encourage me through notes, texts, or lunch dates, but by the way she lives with relentless love and confidence in the cross. Friends, influence is huge, and godly influence is eternal. Hi, my name is Connor, and I'm going to be a sophomore at Williamsville High School. One person that impacted my life for Christ was a friend that I grew up with. We always went to the same school and church. He had a good relationship with God, and I didn't. He always was involved in church activities like youth group, Bible studies, and church camps, and I wasn't. My freshman year, I struggled a lot with finding my place and with my relationship with God. My friend was always inviting me to go to youth group, Bible studies, and camps. I blew most of it off, but one day, he finally convinced me to go sign up for a camp called Fuge. That changed my life completely. I never can thank him enough for always motivating me and guiding me in my darkest times. He was truly a light in the darkness. The reason we had these students share is because it wasn't like a plan, like we're going to purposely make them say stuff. This is real to them. These are real people. And, and folks, that's everybody in this room. A student coming alongside another student. An adult coming alongside a student. The question is, will you with us? Will you team with us? Will you see that this generation is so important that we reach out to them and run with them? Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. God, I even thank you for a church that already does believe that. But God, help us to keep getting better. Help, help us to keep being aware. So God, as we go out today, God, I pray that we'll take the time to think of a couple names, people we could pray for and disciple. So God, just help us live this out. In your name, amen. If you need a talk this morning or pray, the prayer team and I will be down front. Otherwise, have a great rest of the Sunday, Cheerios.